Welcome to Childhood Trash, a dumpster dive into our childhood nostalgia where we re-examine the most influential media from our youth in order to answer the question, tragic or nostalgic. I'm your host, Pia Plaka, joined by my co-host, Maggie Keating. Hi, Maggie. Hi. So today we have a very fun episode. Yes, we have a special guest, and we're going to be interviewing him. Yeah, our very special guest today, his name is Mark Hoffling. Yes, is our guest today, and he is a production designer of many a decom and has done many other things yes um that we're excited to talk with him about i'm very excited yeah me I'm too like, he's worked on some huge huge projects and has been like such an integral part of those like classic i feel like disney yeah movies. something that is so like classic about disney movies is the sets yeah. like literally every time we talk about especially the ones like from the earlier 2000s and he's done a lot of those we are always like oh my god the bedroom looks so cool like mm-hmm. I always wanted a Disney Channel bedroom growing up yeah for sure so I think I think he's really like very talented I don't know like sure. very cool <laughs> yeah like he's done a lot of really really interesting stuff to name a few high school musical high school musical all of the descendants movies the Wizards of Waverly Place movie, Teen Beach movie. He worked on Zombies. Um, in with fact, our bestie. Yeah, the re- the way we connected with Mark is Mark has worked with our pal Paul on Paul Hohen, who we did an interview with a few weeks ago. That it went was, live a few yeah, weeks ago. It was a few um, months ago for us. <laughs> but they are they've worked together on a lot of projects, so yes. it's like very cool that we get to it's interview like, two people who work yeah, on the same thing. He's I feel like Mark's mostly worked with Paul and also Kenny Ortega a yes. lot. Like, those two are, like, his, like, pairings. And, like, are we next going to get Kenny Ortega on the pod? That's I don't know. That's what I'm dying to know. <laughs> oh. Anyway, oh, let's man. get into the interview. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this with us. We, like, really, really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. I, I really respect what you guys are doing. And and um, I think it's important lesson that, you know, if you're, especially for people who work kind of behind the camera, if you're interested in what somebody's doing, just ask, just ask them because, you know, we don't get a lot of attention. (laughs) So we're happy to talk about, uh, you know, lives and careers and stuff like that. So please, you know, if you're looking for other professionals to talk to in the future, don't be shy to reach out to them because I'll bet unless they're just, you know, a-holes that they would be willing to to yeah. have a conversation with you we've definitely learned that we just yeah. like sometimes we just have meetings where we like spend like half an hour sending out emails to a bunch of people yeah so oh, good. It's really like pleasantly surprising how many people are so open to uh talking to us and yeah. oh good so you you have been getting good responses yeah we yeah. have yeah that's how i mean that's how we connected with, with paul, paul. Um, yeah. and we've we talked to some other writers and mm-hmm. stuff too which was really really cool for us so yeah, and, we're, and we just like, I don't know, our like we our podcast is very small, but it's yeah. like really, it's like a, a really nice experience for us. It's a get, labor of love. It's a labor yeah. of love. <laughs> we're yeah. we're really so excited about the things that we're doing. So it's, we hope that that like comes across yeah. in what we're doing. Yeah, well, you know, this is how you build a, an audience is you take it seriously and you, you, you know, have good conversations and you try to find good guests. And before you know it, you're podcasters and... <laughs> Living large on podcaster dough. <laughs> I yeah, wish. maybe one day. <laughs> one day. Yeah. Help with those student loans. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. We can just we kind can of just hop into the questions. questions. You guys, you guys say when. I'm all yours. 
So we kind of wanted to start with like a very like general question just for our uh, viewers and who don't really know anything about production design. So like Mm. explain like what exactly does like a production designer do? Yeah, well, that's it is uh, it is a good question because it's um, um, it's it's quite a broad uh, job. Um, so a production designer in the briefest possible description is kind of the architect of a movie, but in uh, you flesh that description out a little bit more, um, we're basically responsible for everything on camera that isn't alive. You know, the room or the the setting that a scene is in, uh, the color palette, the items that are in that room or, you know, exterior space. Uh, the selection of locations, if it's location versus build, the design of a, a space if it's built, all the way down to, uh, you know, the kind of wedding ring that a character might be wearing or, or the watch they're wearing, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it goes from the very broad, like a, a house or an office, to the very, the very specific like uh, the letterhead on paperwork and what typeface is used on the on paperwork that's in camera, right? So yeah. it's it's quite a large brief yeah. that production designers have. So you've also worked as a prop master, a set designer, and an art director. How do those yeah. jobs compare? And well, it's uh you know to to get to a lot of the jobs in the business, it's uh, there's kind of an apprenticeship working your way up to to where you want to be now of course you can go to school as as you two are and you know especially am i understanding correctly that you want to be writers in yeah yeah so obviously for someone like a writer you're probably going to want to go to school learn about you know story structure and narrative arc and and all that kind of all that jazz and unlike me you know learn how to spell things but uh, in other jobs, it's a bit more of an apprenticeship. Um, so, for instance, if you were a grip or an electrician or had certain jobs under the larger purview of the art department, you would most likely be better off just getting a job in the industry and and working your way up through a department and learning the ropes of being on set. And, you know, let's take a grip, for instance, like, how you lay dolly track, how you know light stands and C stands work, um, you know the different sorts of cranes and dollies and things like that. It's all very, very technical. Um, you can certainly learn some of that in school, no question. But you're going to learn probably a lot more in a in a movie or two than you're going to learn in in a lot of schooling doing that. So, so anyway, that's a long way of saying when I was doing things like being a prop master which is, uh, was not the happiest time of my life. It is a very difficult job and very detail oriented, which kind of is not, uh, you know, I, I deal with details, but kind of as a drive-by. Um, oh, it's so detail oriented and it's such finite things and it's just such masses of stuff and keeping track of them. You know, because scenes are shot. Oh, you know, scene twenty six maybe may shoot over three different non connected days, and you know, is the cigarette the same length as it was in this scene? Is there this much liquid in the glass as there was in the? 
forget it. Now there are people who are very good at that and I am grateful they exist. But uh, so anyway, I did prop master a few things. Art directing is a, is uh, a very common stepping stone to production design. Kind of also a different discipline. It's, it's, for instance, on a Navy ship, you would have the captain who kind of is, you know, in charge of the broad brushstrokes. And then their first mate or executive officer is the one who really runs the ship. Well, that's kind of what the art director is. They're, you know, they're in charge of the crew and making sure information is properly disseminated and budgets are handled and all the while, all the while dealing with the difficult creative personality that production designers can be. <laughs> Yeah, so that was just a way of working my way up to uh, to designer. Nice. Yeah, that makes that's, sense. That's interesting. Um, we go to Emerson College in Boston, mm -hmm. which is a pretty big film school as well. So it's, yeah. we we definitely, I, I mean, at least in my experience, I know a lot of like people here. I actually, I have friends that want to be production designers. So it's like mm. interesting to see like the difference. So you would recommend like really getting into the industry head on instead of like going to it, it kind of depends, you know, people come, there's, especially for production designer, there's not really one road. There's, there's kind of a lot of ways in and um, you could, you know, you could go to school and learn all about like, you know, I know that some, some, does your school offer production design as a, as a specialty now? Is it like a, it might be a degree? Like, so I think the degree is like visual, like media arts and then, mm. um, there's like you would like uh, specialize in production design or like cinematography or editing or something like that. Yeah, see, I think that would be that would definitely be worth pursuing yeah. um, because there's so much of what I do and other production designers do to to learn exclusively on the job. Um, for instance, you know, drafting um, now, you know, all of the design programs maya and rhino and um you can certainly learn all that stuff on your own but it's great to have instruction in that and especially for younger professionals in the film industry they're just kind of expected in the art department they're kind of expected to know all that stuff yeah. um so i think there is a good argument to be made for staying in school and there's also a good argument for Finding a production and saying, I want to, you know, I want to learn everything about the art department. And the art department is a huge, huge thing. department generally on, uh, oftentimes the biggest department on any show. Um, so there, even within the department, there's, you know, the traditional art department, which is just like the people right around the production designer who generate the, the drawings, who disseminate the designs the graphic designers the set designers you know those the people who kind of push out the ideas and then and then there's the set decorate the set decoration department and so for instance if i design and build a room then you know if i design a room paint and construction build the room set decoration dresses it with everything in it tables chairs window coverings floor coverings lighting fixtures uh and then props comes in and and puts that final layer of everything an actor might touch right so those are kind of the breakdowns and within all that there's all these really cool specialties right there's all these 
there's so much to know, like just in like say the set decoration department, you know, yeah, they're furniture movers, but there's so much more, you know, they, they invest in what we really do as art department, which is build backstory, right? So we're, we're visual storytellers and I can tell you more in a frame of film than a writer, sorry, not to knock on writers, that a writer or director can tell you in pages of, of exposition and dialogue because, boom, is this person a hoarder? Are they a serial killer? Are they, you know, there's there's so much information that, could, that can be conveyed visually that way. So um, like a, a person who works in the set decoration department, yeah, they might move into a space, move the stuff into a space, but then it's like, a good example is uh, I had a decorator one time say to me, we were doing a motel in the desert and it was just a quick scene in the motel office, like two two lines of dialogue, just a throwaway uh, scene that we had to have. And the set decorator said to me, what if the woman who works there is really into owls? And I said, it's great. What a great, you know, we're in the middle of the desert and here's this person who's just in... And so he kind of filled up the office with all this owl paraphernalia. And it it was funny for us to do. And it was amusing for us. You know, we amused ourselves. But it, it told a story, right? It wasn't just a generic nobody who worked in this place. It was somebody with this whole story that you're never going to get to hear. And that it's those layers of those tissues of ideas that really make uh, a project sing, you know? Definitely. Um, I know, we know you already touched on this a little bit, but um, we wanted to know like how specifically, how you decided to get into production design, like that, that that's mm. the thing you wanted to, to follow. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll try to be as brief as possible because obviously I, that's not my gift. Um, I need writers <laughs> to edit me. I grew up in um, Salt Lake City in uh, the 70s and uh, under a, a very certain suffocating orthodoxy that uh, is prevalent there. And uh, it wasn't a very happy time, uh, not a terribly functional family. So when I got the opportunity to see movies and to watch stories, you know, on television, there was just all this color and light and, and it took me out of my world for a minute. And so those, that escape and those departures really were incredibly important for my, my mental health and my well-being. And I also had this, you know, very turbocharged imagination and, and I didn't realize it at the time, but I would see something in a movie that would excite me. And I would try to make my bedroom, my corner, you know, I shared with my brothers, but try to make my corner of the bedroom like a Star Wars thing or a Lord of the Rings thing. So I was I was kind of a set designer when I was six, right? I was a production designer as a kid trying to create this fantasy space that I could live inside of. It's very cliche for a Gen Xer to say this, but when I was uh, eight, I think, my dad took us to see the opening day of the first Star Wars movie. And, you know, my eyes were like this. It was so amazing. And in one of his better moments, he leaned over to me and said, uh, there's people who make all that stuff, you know. And it was just like that. At eight years old, like, that's the job I want. 
And um, yeah. yeah, it was that obvious. And then, you know, I, I, it was pre-internet times and Salt Lake City was a backwater. I mean, it's kind of a backwater now, but you can imagine in the 70s, it was just so nowhere in this square state, high desert, you know, weirdness. And my family wasn't terribly sophisticated in the way that a lot of, uh, that you would require to find your way to film school or something. So um, I just kind of farted around and got close to having an art degree uh, or was pursuing an art degree at the university, just a, you know, standard art, not film or anything, uh, fine arts degree. And because my parents also were hoarders, like we had all this shit, we had all this stuff. Yeah. And my dad was crazy about hoarding construction materials. And we had all of these piles and piles of construction materials that were just rotting in the desert sun next to the freeway. And as random chance would have it, uh, an art director was in town doing uh, Halloween 5. Now, I don't know why Halloween 5 came to Salt Lake. I don't know what attracted it, you know, the business to the to the state, close to LA, I guess. This guy's like, wow, I need to get some of that stuff to build the shack I got to build. So long story short, he got a hold of my dad and that stuff that it was garbage, but it was more precious to my dad than gold. I still don't understand. He said, what do you want for, you know, five truckloads of this stuff? And my, my dad said, well, I got this weird kid. And if you just talk to him, and uh, so I went and talked to this guy and ended up working on Halloween five for like a month. And then he called me later that year and said, I got three horror movies in the Northwoods of Wisconsin of all places. And I withdrew from all my college classes and just flew off to the frozen Northwoods. And I clung to that guy like grim death for several shows. And then that got me to LA and just kind of, half starved my way into a career out there that is so cool that's crazy like that's a lot of luck a lot of a lot of weird luck out of the ashes of a lot of unhappiness I guess so take from that what you will I think that's really interesting I think a lot of artists in general just like they come upon their art as like a way to escape mm -hmm. too and like I, I in my experience I definitely like I knew what I wanted to do when I was in yeah, second grade same. so I think that's oh really to write yeah. to write um specifically for media or uh for like books and 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 stuff like that yeah. I I just gotcha. like me a journal once and I was like oh this is it so, I know so many journals so many journals so <laughs> yeah it's funny isn't it like it how how soon the person we're going to be kind of reveals itself to uh, you know to us and our families you know, like I said, I was I was making sets in my bedroom when I was six years old, and I didn't even understand that's what I was doing. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's funny. So one thing that kind of like stood out to us, obviously, um, because of the nature of our podcast, um, is um, your experience working with Disney and the Disney Channel. Yes. And wanted to know how you got into that um, whole Disney uh, world. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a, again, it's kind of a, the weird luck of a moment, you know, and careers are, you know, you can plan as much as you want, but things are just going to happen and, and other things aren't going to happen, right? There's going to be plenty of moments of disappointment and then some random door is going to open. And, uh, 
being freelancers, like, you know, if you guys are writers, you, you're going to kind of be freelancers for the most part. I would think too, being a, being a freelancer means knowing when to run through the door, right? And and then as you once you get to be my age, it's also knowing when to walk back out the door. I was part of a very fledgling film community in Utah, uh, in Salt Lake City. It had been around for a long time, but it never, it, it, it was small. It was really, really a small industry. And the Disney Channel, back when they were doing extremely modest budgets, like very, very small, well under $10 million. Like, I don't know for sure their entire history, but I'm, I know some of these movies were like under 5 million, which by today's standards is incredibly small budget. So I think there was enough of a film inf infrastructure in Utah and it was an hour's flight from Los Angeles and it was non-union. And so the general cost was a lot cheaper to make movies there. So the channel started sending, you know, they were making movies in other markets as well. Uh, but they started sending some of these tiny movies to Utah. And I was like, oh, man, it would be great to get in with Disney. I didn't set out to work in young people's programming. Right? I didn't care. Like, I'll make whatever. That's the job. Right. We're hired guns. But, you know, it's Disney. You know, the checks are going to clear, right? <laughs> it's not like fly-by-night family film company. It's like the, it's the big show. They had a production designer that was an older guy that had been working, doing these movies uh, in Utah. And he just happened to be offered a series. And a series is very tempting because they're longer term. You end up making more money per project generally than on a movie. Uh, so he took this series and they were really mad at him. And then they said, well, you got to find somebody to replace you. And I was probably close to 30. Might have still been in my 20s. And I was the next warm body standing there. And they said, here, you do it. And I was super excited. Um so uh, the first movie I did for them was called Buffalo Dreams. I don't, do you guys remember that one? Really tiny show. Uh, it was sweet. It was nice. It wasn't you know? It wasn't a musical. It wasn't one of the big splashy ones. Little story about a, a you know kid that his family moves down close to a a fictional reservation and you know kind of learns about native life and and uh, and they're a buffalo. And so I did that and I guess I didn't screw it up. So they gave me another one and I did that and didn't screw it up. And I think the next one in the pile, the next script in the low budget pile was called High School Musical. Yeah, I was I was like immediately when you were like, oh, I'm from Salt Lake City. I was like, oh, uh, high school I musical. got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just luck, right? Just the luck of being there and being available and, and uh, being willing. And so, you know, at the time, High School Musical was just a standard 90-page script. It had no songs in it. It had no, um, you know, there was an intention that there would be songs, but they weren't in the script. Uh, and nobody really, I'm kind of a bad homosexual in that I didn't grow up with musicals and it just wasn't part of my world, right? In the So I didn't have any experience with them and neither did any of the people I was working with in this, the local people in this production. 
And that's when Hurricane Kenny blew into town. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just <laughs> took charge of the whole thing. And, and uh, we were off to the races. And it was, it, I will always, always, always remember that project with such great fondness because he was so kind to me and so generous and I, you know, I said, look, I, I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to make this work, but I really don't know a ton. And he said, well, come with me. And so I went to auditions with him. I had never seen anything like it, like room after room after room of these talented kids coming in and doing, you know, 90 seconds of get your head in the game, you know, a choreographed bit and then and then I would sit in music meetings with Kenny as he talked to the resident genius one of the truly 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 secret weapons of the Disney Channel is a guy who works there called Steve Vincent who you should you should look up Steve Vincent he will talk to you, you should call yeah. call the channel and talk to Steve Vincent and tell him I sent you because I believe Steve started as an assistant and he has been the music supervisor on every musical they've ever done. So if he was an independent producer, the guy would have platinum up and down the hallways for days, right? Like like all the camp rock, all the high school musicals, all the zombies, all the descendants, everything that was kind of the successful musical, he's the secret sauce behind it. So anyway, he's a great guy too. He'd love to talk to you. He'd be wonderful for you guys to talk to. So I would sit in the meetings and you know, they'd start talking about music and Steve would send out, he'd come back with a, a CD from a, a composer or a composing team and they would have done a temp track for a song. And I'm like, wow, I don't get it, but this is, what a cool process. Like, I'm not really understanding it. And then when the, when the cast showed up and they started getting the dance crew together, Kenny invited me to go see rehearsals. And I'm just like, wow, these, how do you even pick? <laughs> who's good and who's bad they all look amazing to me and you could tell that Disney was really starting to smell that something special was happening and so all the execs started showing up all the time from LA and uh, the first musical number I ever saw in my career which is now large as a I've done over a, I don't know probably 120 musical numbers if you look at all my movies combined the first one I ever saw a full run through of in costume on set with the playback, all the choreography was uh, status quo. Wow. High school musical one in the cafeteria. And I'm standing there watching this all go on. And I just got the chills. And I was like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever. I got to tell you, making non-musicals is pretty boring <laughs> after after all these experiences. So anyway, that was that was the origin of the tween musical and remember we high school musical predated glee it you know it was that it was kenny ortega and disney and that project that put the teen tween musical back at the tip of the spear of youth culture and it just happened overnight that's so interesting that like kenny like involved you more with like um, like the auditions and the rehearsals and things like that. Are you, this is like a question we got from someone to ask you, are you by any chance like aware of why they didn't have Zac Efron sing? <laughs> I am. I think at the time, I think Zac was 15 or 16. I think he was 15 when he landed the role. 
And that's a whole nother story that his family, he was came, came from a very modest family and they didn't live in LA. And, and when he wanted to audition, they'd have to go to LA and get a motel. And they didn't really have a lot of money for it. And so the high school musical audition was like the last thing they were going to do. They said, as I recall, it's like, honey, you, we can't do this anymore. We can't afford it. So, you know, let's do this one more. And he gets the, he gets the movie, which is crazy. One of those stories, right? But anyway, he was he was quite young. And I think that there was a general feeling that maybe, you know, he didn't have a lot of um, singing experience. And I think there was just a, a sense that his voice wasn't quite up to snuff. And so they had another kid who auditioned, uh, Andrew, I think his name was. Am I right? You guys might know this. But anyway, he did the vocal on the first one. You know, the album went through the stratosphere. So all those, all the kids got rich off of singing on the album, except Zach. So on the second movie, Zach's like, I'm singing. And, <laughs> and he did the work and that's, you know, good for him. He put in the time and had vocal coaching and, and I think he probably had a little, you know, auto-tune help, but who doesn't these days? And, uh, and he, he worked his ass off and cool. and got his dough, you know, and he did it on the third movie. Same. I would do the same. That's so funny. You know, it was probably a little unfair to him. He might have been cheated out of it a bit because he was capable of it. I think. Remember, we were also doing these very, very low budgets. So we had, you know, a few weeks of prep. There wasn't a lot of time to have vocal coaching. Like, you know, it yeah. just wasn't good. It wasn't really an option. That makes sense. Yeah, and that was definitely before, like, I think Disney as, like, a move tried to, like, hire more triple threat type of people. Yeah. Really prepared to do all three. Yeah. Yeah, you should, I mean, some of these these kids that I've worked with since then are just in, ridiculous. Like, their the talent level is, is unreal. Like, I don't know where they come from. Yeah, definitely. We were also wondering, like, if working, you seem very fond of working with Disney, but has it also changed the process a little? Like, as a, like compared to other movies, like having to get the Disney stamp of approval. It, you know, it's a funny animal. I think a lot of people think there's a big rule book. Like, you know, here is the, you know, put the big family Bible on the table. And this is the code of ethics and the code of, you know, these are the color schemes and the things and all that. And it, it, it's not true. Like it's, there's a lot of wiggle room inside what you think Disney the Disney brand is hire outside people like me and Kenny and, you know, to try to bring a new, new perspective. And so sure. Do they want it to be colorful? Absolutely. Do they want it to be, uh, you know, do they want a visual to support these stories that are, you know, oftentimes very fun. The conflict levels are, minor at best and you know but within that there is there's all kinds of space to move and and it's i think it's really important you know if you guys are going to be writers and people listening to the show want to work as maybe creatives in the in the business that you have a lot of bosses like i'm a big boss but i have a lot of bosses over me like I, the director is my most immediate and probably most important boss. I work for them the most directly, but I've also got the studio, you know, I'm working all the time. I was working for Kenny Ortega or Paulo, and I'm also working for the studio. 
that have their own, those executives bring their notes, which are oftentimes very random and kind of don't get it, but uh, you know, they sit in meetings all day. So they have reasons for asking what they're going to ask. But it's what's really critical to remember is who you're making the movie for is really the end user, right? So yes, I make a lot of these movies are for teens and tweens. That does not mean that it's unserious filmmaking. It doesn't mean, you know, th this is an audience who is as deserving of <clears throat> engaging and interesting and entertaining media as any other audience. They do have, you know, kind of different takes, but I wouldn't call them unsophisticated. I think young people are watching for slightly different reasons. Here's an example. The three of us could go out this weekend and see a rom-com, right? We could see some Jennifer Aniston, handsome guy rom-com, and it'd probably be just fine, right? And we wouldn't think too much about it, and we wouldn't agonize over it. Well, as you guys know, having been that young audience, they engage, like the engagement is is pretty intense, and it's repeat like a lot of these these kids will watch these movies 20 times sometimes <laughs> our entire right? yeah they learn all the choreography and they and and they know every note of every song but also you know story they really you know i i think one thing that's i found interesting working for that audience is you know the disney channel is is largely you know majority probably a girl's uh, interest network not to say that there aren't plenty of boys who watch, and there are a lot of boys who watch anonymously. So let's give them their space and not rat them out because they don't want their friends to know. But the that the girls who watch it, there's a real interest in the intensity of friendships between female characters in these stories. Yes, very true. You know, that's really, really important to them. So, you know, you just learn, like, I could my next job could be making a Saw movie, right? <laughs> and I would be, and I've worked in, I've worked in horror and horror is a lot of fun. It's weird. It, it's a funny space to work in, but it's a lot of fun. But there are horror fanatics. You know, there are people who that's all they watch. They love horror movies. You've got to learn how to talk to the specific literacies of that audience, right? So if people, if I bust out like my high school musical bona fides, and someone's not impressed by it, then I'll bust out my army of darkness bona fides. And, you know, all of a sudden, all the weird Simpsons comic book guys I meet in my life are like, oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Ever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, it's, it's funny, Disney, like working for Disney, it's really more about working for the, the audience. Yeah. I think like something that, I loved about Disney Channel growing up was how cool the rooms looked like yes it, mm. it, even just in the tv shows like I always wanted to live in those bedrooms they were so in like fun yeah and I wanted my room to look like that that's just like a key aspect of Disney Channel movies is having like the world's the perfect coolest house. bedroom yeah. that like perfectly like matches your personality yeah. and everything you're into it's very impressive yeah. when you like I, I I still don't feel like a lot of movies really like think can, about that and do that as yeah. well as disney can which i i really like so well, that's another thing i think we've we've kind of uh or in my observation about the audience and i i do remember who was it one of the execs having this conversation with me 
about bedrooms that for a young audience, very often the one part of the, the actual world they have any control over is their bedroom. And that's, and so that becomes an, a critically important space, you know, to see the, their characters inhabit. And because design is, you know, production design is really storytelling. What story am I telling the audience about, you know, Gabriella's bedroom or Sharpay's bedroom or, you know, how does this, how does this illuminate the character in certain ways now? There's also an unreal uh, lack of realism to it. So when I was that kid growing up, the movies that were very common, you know, for that age group were like the John Hughes movies, like, you know, 16 Candles, Pretty in Pink, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I grew up, we looked very kind of lower class. We weren't necessarily, but this is how hoarders live. And so... To me, I would watch those those movies and they were a little unrealistic. It's like, oh my God, look at that house they live in. Look, everything's clean. There's no holes in the carpet. Like the windows aren't broken. You know, it was, it, there was a certain unreality to it. So I kind of uh, have described myself for better or worse as an engine of disappointment uh, as a designer because, you know, I make proms that no kid is ever going to go to. Yeah. Right? I know. <laughs> oh my God. Proms. We, we were just talking about this the other day. We were like, why weren't our proms like a Disney movie? Yeah. <laughs> you didn't have three quarters of a million dollars for the prom committee and a, two, two 40 foot trailers full of uh, programmable lights from PRG in Atlanta. You know, it's like, uh, and, a, and a crew of 40 yeah. to run it. So, uh, you know, it's it's fun to create those aspirational spaces for young audiences. And then what's where I get a little alleviation from being an engine of disappointment is we do something crazy, like, you know, some huge prom, like the end of, of Zombies 2 or something. And then another a school might pull that off in their own way. And what bridges the gap is the incredible imagination that youth is generally gifted with, you know? And it's a shame that society conditions us to kind of lose that as we get older. I'm one of those few very lucky people who makes my living doing that, right? To still have the imagination of the eight-year-old that came out of Star Wars, you know, that May Day completely humming with possibility and I actually am not joking when I say that my collaborator on these projects is that eight-year-old, you know, that eight-year-old boy. And I say to him, what do you think? And he's like, oh, it's cool. Let's do this. That's good. <laughs> you know, I kind of work for him. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, that Yeah, that's definitely like, that's definitely a very relatable thing, I think. The like mm -hmm. wanting to continue your career and and sourcing that from the child you were yeah that's such that's such like an artist thing that's such a thing around us too like at an arts college so yeah I think it's important to protect you know you're gonna the, the world is going to make different demands on you as you pass through it as you guys already know um but if you can kind of preserve that you know keep that flame alive in you somewhere to ignite uh, at a later time I think it'll serve you very well 
So I know we kind of touched on um, High School Musical, but I was thinking about the High School Musical like movies and those kind of like big musical movies that get the sequel and then the third movie and how they each get like bigger and bigger every time. Is that like a challenge to kind of like outdo yourself and like every time? <laughs> That's a great question. And in a way, the outdoing is the fun part. You know, when Kenny or Paul, you know, Paul's kind of the watchmaker, Kenny's kind of the atom bomb. And, uh, but they both have this way of expanding and that's what's expected of them, of course, to like deliver a bigger, better. But where you, what I find challenging about having made so many sequels is how I always bone myself. I'm like, oh, God, we did that in the first movie. Now I got to track that. Uh, how do we make sense? Of, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, you need a bigger brain than I have to try to like make a part one that isn't just a minefield for part two, right? Where you've got eh, this character that didn't really work out and you've got this, you know, why did you design the, clubhouse this way it doesn't serve this you know what I mean and and so there's a lot of like unwinding of imperfect ideas now even with these bigger movies you know Disney was like High School Musical was well under 10 million dollars now we're you know like the latest zombies or uh, descendants movies are far, far, far bigger than that. Even with those, with more prep time, more people, better professionals, a lot bigger brains all over the place, you still, we're still in a hurry, you know? So you, a lot of decisions are made pretty rapidly. And even some fairly important decisions are made in the moment. So it's kind of hard to keep from blowing yourself up on part three, I guess, but it's always fun. You know, it's just, it's, it's fun to see how, you know, like, I don't, you guys are probably older than the zombies movies franchises. A little, but we're, we're slightly we, familiar. Yeah. Because of Paul. Yeah. So there, it's a very, it's a very weird world we created with the zombies. It's fun as it's crazy fun, but it's a very strange place. And as we tried to make the sequels, we were like, how do we do that? And we just said, you know what we got to do? We just got to embrace the weird. Mm -hmm. uh, we just, we can't run from it. We got to run right into it and just say that the world that zombies took place in is this, but it's not America. It's not earth. It's, <laughs> it's this bubble of existence where every B movie ever made happens in real life. So there's, zombies and werewolves and aliens and in in the same way I'll, I'll maybe more familiar project to you guys in the same way that we made teen beach and even in the first movie and that was for a director named uh, jeffrey hornaday who's uh a, kind of a wild man very very creative he he choreographed flash dance when he was 22 or 23 like an amazing human being so we made teen beach and it was kind of me and him as the creative team and we were way off in puerto rico far from the studio 
And I'm like, this is, you know, our kids going to understand this kind of like, you know, bikers and sofas and chewing, you know, joysy bikers chewing on their gum and all this like period weirdness. And, and we just decided if it was funny, they wouldn't care. Right. And, and so we just kept pushing the silliness and the weirdness and trying to find a top to go over on that movie. And we never found it. It, and it's such a crackers movie. Yeah. Um, and that, and because of that, it's probably one of my favorite projects ever. Like I think of my over 100 musical numbers I've been involved in, I think Cruising for a Bruising is still my favorite. Okay. Oh my God. It's so good. It's <laughs> so I, fun, right? They, I remember they had on Disney, like um, like a to teach you the dance moves. Of how to do the dance yeah. and how to do the hair. Yes. I was the beehive. I was obsessed. That was her real hair. That was Chrissy Fitz's real hair. Yeah. And, and I was, I would sit in my mom's room with her roller brush and be like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like they, yes. they sold the fifties like energy. So well, even though we like as kids didn't know anything about it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was, that's, and that's it. You know, it's even before that's before my time. Right. But I was aware of kind of the Frankie and Annette beach blanket bingo movies so I kind of had, they were kind of on the edge of my um, awareness, but, you know, for tweens, it's like, okay, here's these, these bikers that have these weird accents and there's, you know, the weather control machine. It was all very Scooby-Doo, <laughs> but uh, just as fun as hell. Yeah. And then, you know, we had great professionals. Uh, Ruth Carter was the, the costume designer and she's now one you know, an Academy Award for Black Panther. So we had we had a lot of big brains around the table there. That's really very cool. You you I mean you just you just kind of shared a favorite memory, but do you have any other funny stories or behind the scenes like tidbits of, of any projects you've worked on that which which one do you want to hear about? Let me see if I can well so choose from like I mean I, I feel like we would have to stay in like the realm of what we know yeah. of like yeah, yeah, yeah. thousands high school musical high school musicals we talked about read it and weep on our podcast as well yeah yeah so that was I think that was the first movie I did with Paul and yeah. Paul and I have probably done eight seven or eight movies he's a great he's a super good friend um we've probably done seven or eight movies together because it wasn't a musical it wasn't very splashy and i don't remember talking about that show are you guys in the good luck charlie it's christmas oh, that's, that's our next that's our, I, <laughs> we are actually like watching good luck charlie it's christmas for the podcast um in like a week or two um, oh okay so it's timely so yeah. if we wanted to know if you have any like things that we should look out for in our watch or like little tidbits that we might so uh, one story that's really funny from that that just just so like I don't know it made me laugh was when the mom and the daughter I can't remember characters' names off the top of my head right now the the mom and the daughter get uh, their car breaks down or whatever happens that they get they're stranded in that little mountain town and they go to the gas station and buy that car for like what was it fifty dollars or something that's that car is called a Yugo now do you know anything about Yugos? So Yugo, before the, the USSR collapsed, there was a communist-built car on the American market that was made in communist Yugoslavia called the Yugo. And it was a joke. It was like a running joke because they were 
they were shit cars. Like they were, you can imagine they barely worked. Uh, you couldn't get parts for them, They're, but they were super, super cheap, right? Little economy cars. So the joke was, oh, they go buy this Yugo. And then when they turn it on, it starts playing like the Russian national anthem. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> oh my God. But it was, so we had to buy three of them. It was, they're almost impossible to find. Some collector had one that was working, which was unbelievable. So we got that one. And then we got another one for parts that someone was using as a chicken coop. And then we've got a third one that is the one that falls apart on cue. Remember that? Which is a really funny gag. It just disintegrates. Yeah. Other um, which was a, a pretty complicated gag and, and it actually worked out. But I don't know why I think this is so funny, but the one that was a chicken coop actually had a CD player in it. And when we finally got a battery into the car and it kind of turned on a little bit, it spit out a CD and the CD had written on it in Sharpie, crazy hip hop mix and crazy was spelled with a K. Oh my God. Was like, oh my God, this is the greatest treasure. Ever. Oh, so funny. And we couldn't get it to play. Like we put oh, it in, it must have been some like Eastern European CD oh, technology. That's like a relic. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's the kind of thing that just happens all the time in the film business is you, the script says, and writers do this to me all the time. The script says, ha Hugo's funny. Oh God, I got to find Hugo. <laughs> I gotta so you start calling around. Um, let's see. Here's another good story, real quick. Uh, has to do a little bit less with cars, but High School Musical three, also the junk, yeah. right? The the boys are back. That that bit. So the script says junkyard, right? The boys go to a junkyard and get this radiator cap or something for Zach's truck. I don't know if you've been to a junkyard, a car junkyard, in the past twenty years, but cars now are all just plastic and and they don't, you know, they don't age well like old 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 rusty steel american cars they look cool when they age and they're big hulking things and they've still got some color so i didn't want a modern junkyard and i said we got to find a junkyard that's full of like old american muscle cars impossible like we just couldn't find one so i was with the location manager we're driving someplace else way out in the desert we're driving by this big plywood fence and as i'm Passing by, I look in this open gate and there's just these piles of old American cars. And I was like, what? So we spin around, we go in and uh, that's what it is. It's like a thousand muscle cars just stacked up. It looks fantastic. So we find the owner, he's a very nice little old guy. And he he's just kind of a putterer. And he fixes like one or two up a year to sell. And he makes them mint condition. So he sells them for like 200,000 bucks and it's a living, right? So I told him what we were doing. I said, this is the third installment of a very successful movie franchise. He'd never heard of it. <laughs> um, decade, I guess. He was really cool and heard us out. And I said, you know, we want to rearrange this area and do like a, a dance number in it. Would you be 
willing and he's like mm, uh, it just sounds like a pain in the butt i'm like Ed, money's kind of no object right now on this project like we'll make it worth your while i promise you he's like yeah you guys seem nice but i just don't think i want to do it and i'm like Ugh. so i said here's my card anything changes call me um we were getting the governor's office involved uh you know high school musical was a big deal to the utah film industry at the time and so a couple of days later my phone rings and this uh, they say mark it's rick from the junkyard i'm like oh yeah I'll put him through so i answer the phone and he says hey mark it's rick i'm like yeah rick you change your mind he's like well i didn't want to but i've got these granddaughters and they said, if I don't let you shoot here, they're never going to talk to me again. <laughs> As they should. <laughs> exactly. So I went and spent two weeks with him and he drove a forklift and we built that big, we built the buildings there. And then he put all the cars in that big horseshoe and he had the time of his life. And the, you know, the Disney execs came and met him and the governor came and took pictures with him and and the governor's kids and and uh, just turned into a whole his granddaughters kenny gave them like the whole star treatment they sat at video village and they got to watch the monitors with him and <clears throat> so it was they met zach and corbin and everybody so cool. yeah the film business has a real power yeah, yeah. oh yeah. sweet um i was also thinking about like now that we're talking about High School Musical 3, the like tree house and how mm. it doesn't make any sense, but it's like the ideal dream, like tree house. Like it doesn't work, but I love it. <laughs> See, this is the difference because I've done, you know, probably an equal number of, of projects with Paul and Kenny. So this is kind of the difference between the two of them as visionaries. Whereas Paul would say exactly what you're saying. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So we've got to figure <laughs> something else out. Where Kenny would go, put a 12-story treehouse with, you know, with a, a place for the yacht to come tie up and a hot air balloon. And you, you, he doesn't care. Like it's to, to Kenny, the world is just a, a series of big moments with a little dialogue to, to tie them together. Um, Paul's much more focused on, you know, the mechanics of the story. So, you know, we had this big, beautiful house in a very nice part of town that was playing for Zach's, Zach's place. And there was no tree house. There was no tree. <laughs> so we had to find somebody who was cutting down some trees and we craned them over this house. You know, it's like a $2 million house. And so everybody's sweating. We're moving these giant tree trunks over the house in a crane. We had the power lines moved. And we drilled these big holes in their backyard and sunk the tree trunks in and then built the treehouse into it. And the whole thing, the whole treehouse popped apart with um, like hinge pins because then we had to move it from the backyard to a blue screen stage on a turntable for the end of the, of the musical number. But that's that's very classic Kenny. You'll say, oh, but isn't that too big? And he'll just kind of stare at you blankly like, bigger yeah <laughs> gotcha. okay all right boss that's what we're doing that's so yeah. good. more is more is more he's uh it sounds like i'm complaining about him but i'm not he's oh, no, no. 
that that's an absolutely so critical mentor in my in my oh, life and taught me so much bring a lot it sounds like yeah. which is really cool so do you do you watch the movies that you produce i know sometimes people like are like oh god i can't but it's it it really depends a lot of times i don't because you know you guys or you guys i won't just i'm not selling you short but an audience might watch and not understand all the processes that the a to b to c that led to d right so you'll see a scene and it probably works fine and everything's okay Whereas I may watch it and all I see is every compromise and every lack, yeah. you know, we wanted to do this and they, the money wasn't there and they wouldn't let us do this. Or we didn't have time to do this or it unexpectedly, unexpectedly rained that day. So we ended up shooting this in a place that I didn't have any time to, to, you know, properly treat. And a lot of times I won't because it just makes me cringe yeah. kind of makes my butt pucker um <laughs> like i'll watch the musical numbers a lot because you know just that if we're going to spend all the money we're going to spend it on those moments right so if i'm in a depressed mood something like cruising for a bruising will inevitably make me so smile cool. and I, I saw the other day on youtube it's been viewed like a quarter of a billion times yeah, yeah. beach movie like you know i'm definitely like i'm always in conversation with people about like these kind like Disney movies and whatever, just because of like me and Pierre always yeah. recording every week, there's a new movie for us to watch. And people are always say like, there's like a few favorites. Teen Beach is always up there. Um, and then Cloud Nine. Cloud Nine is always up there. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that was a miserable show. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what we heard. <laughs> Hardest thing I've ever done. It was, yeah. of course, it had to be the coldest and the snowiest winter, either on record in Utah or in like 70 years. Wow. But it paid off. Like, yeah, it, it is like it's a iconic. lot of people's favorite yeah. movies. So well, I'm glad I'm glad you think so. I mean, the cast was cute. And, uh, and, the you know, once we got everything in place, it was pretty fun. But it was, you know, I, I put this whole Metallica concert basically on the side of a half pipe. Yeah. And it took, uh, you know, and half pipes are like this. They're very super steep and they're frozen. Yeah. It's not like you're trudging in the snow. You're walking on a sheet of ice, like an ice rink. And so we had lots of injuries, people falling off, people falling into the half pipe, equipment sliding down the hill and <laughs> getting destroyed. And then, you know, it took four generators, four movie generators to run those lights and it got so cold that the, the diesel fuel in the generators froze. Oh God. <laughs> I mean, it was miserable. It was just, no, oh. <laughs> I've never watched that. Yeah, I just can't go back. I can't, it'll make me feel cold to my bones if I watch that again. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't think I would watch that if I had that experience yeah. either. It's so funny. But it's funny, it's either like the tropical teen beach or the like absolutely Arctic, you know cloud nine that people like teen beach was much more pleasant <laughs> oh yeah polar polar yeah sorry um we also uh were not to like age you but you've been working with disney for nearly 20 years yeah what kind of changed in in working with them for so long 
Yeah, it's uh, a couple of years ago, they were doing some, I think it was coming up on their 100th DCOM or a Disney Channel original movie. And so they did some research and they were looking at the person who's done more Disney movies than anybody else. And it was me. Oh. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm a lifer. Uh, so I think depending on how you count it, I think I've done like 25, 26. There's a lot. So it's it definitely has changed, you know, when I did Buffalo Dreams, and I think it was Go Figure it was my second movie, and then Life is Rough, and then High School Musical. Um uh till the last until Descendants 3 was quite a change. Like remember as I was as I was telling you the the budgets were so small on those first movies and and to be fair the demands weren't giant like it was they were contemporary stories about modern kids in school so you can use a modern you know an existing school you can use existing houses you can use existing you know malls and an office space for dad's office or whatever it is then when High School Musical happened, all of a sudden, nobody really expected this. All of a sudden, they were the tip of the spear of youth culture. And that's when I, you know, when I say it happened overnight, it happened overnight. Like, it was stratospheric. Kenny, within months, was on a global stadium tour with the kids doing the songs. I think he said they sold out the, the biggest soccer stadium in Brazil two nights in a row. Right. I mean, it was that gigantic. And so, you know, all these perfectly nice people and, and studio executives at the channel are suddenly like, holy shit, like, <laughs> we've, we have the keys to the kingdom at this point. And so uh, everything uh, expanded very quickly, like budgets went up and expectations went up and they wanted to make a bunch more musicals. And, and so, it was really fun to be part of that, you know, to see something change so drastically and then be trusted to be one of the, the partners to foment that change, right? So we just kept going and going and going and going. And, you know, there was obviously not everything did as well as High School Musical, but I have been, you know, in the room as billions of dollars were made for Disney, um, for the channel, which kind of what it wasn't, it wasn't designed for that when it originally came out. Unfortunately, now it's going through another change, which is the economics of the business are very weird suddenly, you know, with post COVID and uh, streaming. And I think you know, Disney spent so much on their streaming platform and and um, certain things aren't as profitable as they had hoped. It's all profitable. It's just not printing money at the at the scale they had hoped. And then they had some bad leadership and then it, it's kind of a mess and the priorities there feel different. So I, I should count myself grateful that I was present for their real renaissance. And we'll see what shakes out of the whatever's happening next. So uh, I guess if you, we can, this is our last question. We can just close out from here, but if you have anything you're working on right now that you can share with us or plug your 
upcoming, upcoming projects? projects. We would yeah, I don't right now. You know, we've had these strikes, which have been uh, yeah. <laughs> rough for all of us. I mean, I'm really glad that the the writers and the actors got the piece of the pie that they have you know, that they richly deserve. It took a long time to get there. And then right before the strike, I finished what is essentially um, Descendants 4. Uh, so it's kind of a um, in the Descendants universe, but it's a slightly different direction. Uh, it's not a Kenny, not a Kenny project. Uh, so it's uh, some new names, some new blood. Um, so we'll see how that turns out. We'll see how the audience likes it because it's not the, the familiar stomping ground that Descendants was. And then other than that, if anybody uh, listening to your podcast is hiring, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a free agent. It's like my mom. It's like, I don't know. But <laughs> thank you. Oh my God. Well, listen, there is a part of me that's like, okay, the only way that I'm going to continue in this, in this uh, industry is if the kids who loved my movies grow up and become studio execs and start hiring me. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, real quick, it, it's kind of happened. Whereas uh, David David Henry, right? David Henry, who was in Wizards. Wizards, yeah. yeah. He's all grown up and he had a little independent movie and he remembered me from back on Wizards and wanted to hire me to do this indie movie. And so I'm like, oh my God, it's literally happening. Like a Disney kid. <laughs> has grown up and is now making movies. I, I couldn't do it because of a, a conflicting project, but. Yeah, but that's still so cool. Like what a, so fun. But you guys hurry up and get important roles in yeah, the business. We're working on it. Yeah. We're working on it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll try. Yeah. Um, we really appreciate your time. This is really wonderful. Yeah. Same. No, I obviously I like talking about the business and it has, you know, given me a wonderful life and a great direction in life. And something to do other than uh, stare into the middle distance so it's good great and uh, continued success with your show and uh wish you guys all the best and uh, i'll let me know if i can help with anything else thank, thank you, you so so much. so much have a yeah, great my pleasure day. all right bye okay. have a good day all right so we just wrapped up our interview with mark that was great it was so wonderful what a I, sweet guy i'm literally i'm also like obsessed with us like yeah. i feel like <laughs> I feel like we're the best. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but, like, I feel like we got, like, we're getting so good. We're getting so we're good. We're getting so good. Yeah. And, like, literally to think about, like, the fact that that man has, like, made the vision of my favorite childhood movies possible yeah. is so insane. Like, the more I thought about it, I was like, High School Musical 3, The Treehouse, The Rooftop, yeah. The, 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 the dancing scene in TV, like, all of Cloud wait. Nine. Like, it's all clicking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Like, he was, like, he said this in the interview himself, but he was there for the renaissance of Disney. Yes. And that is just so... Oh, my God. I forgot to ask about Cheetah Girls. Oh, that was so Obsessed. great. What a, like... That was so fun. What a G. What a, like, humble guy, too. Yeah. Like, he, he's literally worked on every Disney movie ever. He's and worked he has, on, like, the most Disney movies out of anyone, anyone ever. ever. And he still agreed to, like, hang out with, hang us, out with us for, for an hour. Over an hour. Yeah, which is so wonderful and cool. That's so great. Like, I'm just... What a life to live. I'm so, like, shocked by people. Like, I feel like people in the industry have this bad, like, air about them that they're all, like, stuck up and in their own thing. But, right. like, the more people we talk to and the people that are so open about, like, their experiences and stuff, like, I'm just like, 
these wow, people are awesome. Yeah. Like, and and they always have such good like advice for us because yeah. we can all really relate being like art students and like wanting to be artists and do creative things with our yeah. life. They can they always offer like a little bit of information that I find like is so like caring that they're like. And it's great to see, like, everyone's different path, too. Like, out of... So we've interviewed, like, three people now, and they've all had such different, like, ways to getting into, like, the industry and where they are yeah. now. It always makes me feel very hopeful. I'm like... Yeah. Oh, like, I, I, it's not useless, like, and, everything like, I'm doing. And, like, the things he was saying about, like, like having a plan, I'm, like, such a person with a plan, and I'm like, I need a plan, but I know, like... It, not everything's gonna go to plan yeah. all the time. It's just so I just feel like we're, like, it's so weird, like, I feel so, like, I think we said this last time, but, like, I feel so connected to something that was so important to me. Yes, agreed. And, and like, being like able to... a direct connection. Being able to tell these people who, like, with, who had the intention of, yeah. like, making it special for us that it was really special mm-hmm. for us, like, that just made me really happy. Like, yeah. being like, oh my gosh, like... This meant so much this to meant, me. This meant, like, looking at that bedroom in Wizards of Waverly Place like was all I wanted like yeah it just so like we we talk every podcast we talk about how cool the rooms are in like yeah and I I just loved his outlook on on like kids movies that like yeah just because they're for kids doesn't mean that kids are unsophisticated or the art is not good enough like we experience that ourselves like yeah. I feel like you you want to write like why rom-coms yeah. too and like in in like the field that we're in at Emerson you have to be like this prestigious it's, like yeah i think it's prose very, writer it feels nice hearing that because mm-hmm. it is so scary like i'm applying to grad school right now and i just like i have a big fear that no one's going to take me seriously because right. i care about writing for a younger audience mm-hmm. and like i have all these like amazing people that are telling me like no that's like that's, those are the people that are important yes and like just like so much like positivity and, yeah. I, and I love interviewing these people because they always have so much like good stuff to say yeah so if you life. were in the biz or involved in any of the things that we talk about on the podcast shoot us an email because you will feel DM. you will we will feel better after you will feel better after. yeah I, I like, great experience I like to around. think that it's a mutual loving experience <laughs> yeah um, and and if you're in the biz and you want to hire our buddy or, or us, us do that as well. <laughs> you know, if you keep listening, maybe there will be more. Anyway, yeah. thank you so much for listening to this episode of Child of the Trash. You can follow Child of the Trash Pod on Instagram at Child of the Trash Pod. On TikTok. And TikTok. And you can follow Pia at Pia Laplaca. <laughs> and you can follow Maggie at Maggie and Keating. Thank you for listening. Bye! Bye.